0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church.
1: The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1 with me here, and uh, I want you to follow along a very important conclusion to the mission emphasis this year. I want to read a very familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, certainly it's one that uh, we have rehearsed many, many times uh, in our lives, whether it be through Sunday school or whether it be through uh, a sermon uh, that I have preached. But I think when it comes to missions, this is extremely uh, beneficial. But not only that, it's certainly uh, been rehearsed in our hearts and our minds. I don't know that everybody gets it. Uh, It's evident. It's clearly evident that if we were able to comprehend this, there would be a whole lot more people giving to missions. I don't believe there is any problem in believing that the Bible is the Word of God. I don't believe that there is any problem believing that it is in the inspired Word of God. I don't believe that it's difficult to understand the theme, the message, the goal of this. But when it comes down to participating, not only with our, our faith and our prayers, but with our finances, I'm convinced not everybody's in. Not everybody gets it. Because if if that were the case, then perhaps we would be supporting 10 more missionaries than taking on two. You would be surprised of the notifications that I get about missionaries coming off of the field for various reasons, churches having to stop support for those missionaries. You, you, it would blow your mind. You couldn't believe it. Why is this happening? Well, the reason is there is a, there is a sense and a spirit of complacency and apathy among God's people as a whole. Because I'm convinced that if everybody got it, if everybody was in it, it would be a much, much different story. So having said all of that, we conclude this post-mission emphasis with this most familiar text. And if you have your bulletin today, I'm entitling this message this morning, The Last Earthly Words of Jesus Before the Ascension. You know what the ascension is. Forty days after his resurrection, he assembled all of his disciples together to the Mount of Olives. And this was the final word that he gave, his last words on the earth. The scripture says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. By the way, Jerusalem is Beaufort Road. It's our community. It's Richmond. And in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And I want us to think about this. It probably was the most difficult thing to watch the Lord who had been, especially with those 12, but many other disciples were there. In fact, when he gave this, what is called the great commission. And by the way, it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. When he gave this, he told them, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. I want you to pray, pray for the promise. I want you to wait for the promise of the father. And the scripture tells us that there was 120 in the upper room. By the way, they were not all men. Women were there too. 120 of them gathered. Now, I don't know exactly how many of the Lord's disciples and a disciple is a follower of Christ. I don't know how many were there the day of the ascension, but I do know this that when he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, that 120 of them went exactly where he told them to go. And I want us to think about that. One of the most difficult things for me as a pastor, and we will have another funeral here on Wednesday, Wednesday morning here at the church at 11 o'clock, Sister Phyllis Hendrick has now finished her race. She ran the course. She kept the faith. She fought a good fight. And now she's in the presence of the Lord. And one of the most difficult things for me as a pastor is to watch members of our community, our Buford Road community, uh, go to heaven. Now, it's the most rewarding thing for a child of God. To be anchored in the power of the cross, to know whom you have believed, and to cross the great divide. It's, It's the crowning day. It's, it's, it's payday. It's rewarding day. It's, it's what every one of us who know the Lord is our Savior. This is, what we, this is our goal. Is to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. There's nothing greater for us. This world is not our final home. You think about it. If somebody lives 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, listen, what is that compared to eternity? Heaven is our goal. Heaven is our home. But one of the most difficult things for me as the pastor is to stand here and preach these most difficult words, even though we know whom we have believed. And we know where she is and we know where many others are. To stand here and preach these words. And many times... I have stood over the bed of our loved ones, our brothers and sisters at their time of the passing. And prior to COVID and all the restrictions and different things that I personally have to be aware of because I'm involved with so many people, I can remember the days when I would stand at the bedside of our, our dear brothers and sisters as they were passing. I would, I would hold their hands. And in some cases... I would take a washcloth or something and squeeze it and and put little drops of water in their mouth and put a cold rag upon their brow. And in some cases, to be sure, to be sure that they were saved because I will tell you, Everybody that professes to be saved doesn't mean that they are. And I have stood on this side of the Jordan with countless people that I never saw with the exception of Easter and Christmas. And to be honest with you, though they call this their church and me their pastor, there have been many that I have stood on the banks of the Jordan with and I was not sure that they were
0: saved.
1: You Listen, you can play around and you can fool a lot of people about a lot of things but you better not take any chance with your soul. And just to be sure, just to ease my mind in and out of consciousness. One, I remember one young gal, like it was 10 minutes ago, she was an alcoholic. She drank herself to death. I tell you, her body was orange when I stood at her bedside and I would hold her hand, and she was drifting. There was no fruit in in her life, none. But if you were to ask her if she were sober sitting here today, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I can remember standing at her bedside, taking her by her orange hand and calling her name in and out of consciousness. And asking her, are you, are you saved? She'd look at me and she'd, she'd drip off. And I said, listen to me. She'd open her eyes, she'd drip, drift off again. And it was like that the whole time. But I will tell you this on a sober day, she'd sit right there and say, yes, I know I'm saved. And, and I'm not judging her at all, but I will tell you, I believed it was a lie. I took her by the hand and I began to call her name in and out of consciousness. I said, Listen, we have just little
0: time left. Her family was
1: standing around the bed and they were all dropping tears on the floor. You can imagine the emotional state in the room, and I would not let it go. I took her by the hand as she drifted out. I'd say, Listen to me. Wake up. She'd open her eyes bright long enough for me to say a word or two, and she'd drift off again. I said, listen to me. And I said, in Jesus' name, ask the Savior to come into your heart. And in broken minutes and broken words, she might say a word here. It might be 30 seconds later. She'd say another one here. But finally, we got it done. You say well preacher she was she was on morphine, she didn't know what she was saying. Very well possible, but I know one thing at that moment, me and Jesus were her only hope. She had to listen to me. I wasn't going to leave without it, and one of the hardest things I've had to do is stand by the bedside of many of our members going through that." And and to ease my mind and to ease the mind of their loved ones. Because of unsure journeys in life, I would say, listen, do you know that you know that you know? And I would say, pray this prayer. It didn't matter to me if they had prayed it previously a hundred times. I wasn't interested in any of that. I was interested right now. We were on the Jordan. And I would pray the sinner's prayer with them. I have put my ear to their mouth, those saints of God that knew they were safe. When my dad died, I stood by his bed and dripped those last drops of morphine in his mouth, knowing what that would do. But before he, he entered the state of unconsciousness, He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, I didn't have to stand on the Jordan and wonder if my dad was going to make it. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I've put my ear to the mouth of our loved ones who have made the journey, who spoke their final words. And sometimes, sometimes it would be just warm breath because I would put my face, my ear up to their lips. And sometimes in the end, to listen to their final words, it would be just warm breath flickering on my cheek. Sometimes it would be just parts of a word. And then sometimes I will tell you, and I cannot count the times, people would say to me, preacher, who's that standing behind you? And I'm not trying to give you a dose of spooky religion here. I don't believe in that. But I cannot tell you how many times that happened. Or, pastor, can you see the lights? And sometimes I'd have to put my ear almost upon their lips straining hard to hear what they were saying because I wanted to desperately know what their last words on this earth were going to be. Many of them said, thank you preacher for
0: preaching the word.
1: The last words that Phyllis Hendricks said to me on the telephone, I spoke to her. She said, Pastor, I love you.
0: You've been the best pastor I've ever had. I remember when Brother Richard was crossing the Jordan, he said to me, Preacher, I'm a winner either way. Sometimes
1: these last words brought me to a place where I would say to them after they said to me what I believed to be their last words, I said, now, would you do something for me?
0: And they would say trembling as if what could I do for you? And they would say to me, all right. What can I do?
1: I remember Lewis Holly. He was passing, and I was in his room, and he was—he was just days from being with the Lord. I said, "Lewis, I want you to do something." He knew he was passing. Family knew he was passing. They're here today. We all knew it. I said, "Lewis, I want you to do something for me." He's dying. He's getting ready to go to heaven. He said, all right, what can I do? I said, I want you to give the Lord a message for me. He said, "Well, you want me to tell him? I said, I'd like to build a new church one day and fill it up to the brim. But you give him that message? He said, well, I'm not going to tell him to give you a fancy one. I said, don't tell him that. That's not the message. But sometimes people have listen. Last words of people on this earth is very important to me. Sometimes I've I've been asked to do favors for them, Pastor. I'm getting ready to go. Would you do this and would you do that? And I said okay. Sometimes I've asked them to give the Lord a word for me. I, I, I've asked them that. Would you Would you tell my dad? I said hello. Would you tell Sally May? I said hello. Would you tell Gail's mama? I said hello. When you get there, will you do that for me? It was that close. This passage, I don't know if you can wrap your heart around it, but this passage that we've read this morning contains the last earthly words of Jesus, the last message he had for us before the ascension. And I don't find these words strange, and I don't find these words out of the ordinary or bewildering, because these last words are what his purpose coming to this earth, coming to this world in the first place was all about. The reason Jesus came was not that we would write wonderful songs about him, great poetry about him, all kinds of great things about him listen the reason he came was to die on a cross to shed his blood that we could live the son of man in luke 19:10 has come to save and to seek that which was lost his purpose was not fame and poetry and music his purpose was about the gospel It was about men and women. It was about boys and girls. It was about lost and saved, those who had an eternal soul, and about giving their hearts to him. And secondly, once they did that, he said, listen, once you have the truth, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. Once you have done that, they were to take the gospel. We were to take the gospel to the closest person next to them and then pass it on. Let me ask you a question. You don't need to raise your hands this morning, but think about about this and answer it in your own heart today. How many in here today believe that you really are saved? That you really are a child of God? That you really are Christian? And I'm not talking about how many in here today think that they're members of the church. I'm not asking how many people in here have been scripturally baptized. I'm not asking how many in here today are trying to live a good life. What I'm asking is this. How many in here today have repented of your sins and asked the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, acknowledged him to be God's only begotten son, the savior of the world who accepted his death on the cross as payment for your sins and you've repented of your sins, who truly, fully believe that God raised him from the dead and you have invited him into your heart to be your personal savior. Now, if you've done that, wonderful. There's no greater joy. That without question is the greatest decision that you will ever make in this life. Because if you have not done that, According to the Holy Scriptures, let me say this, many preachers won't tell you this today, but it's the gospel truth. If you don't take Jesus as your Savior, you will die and go to hell. Revelation 20, 15 said, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, there's no other way to get to heaven. Now, if you're saved, if you're born again, you're washed in the blood. What are you doing with your salvation? Think about that. What are you doing with it? The most irresponsible thing that any of us could do with our salvation is nothing. The most important lessons that you could possibly learn after receiving the Gospels is this. The first thing, you need to follow him in believers' baptism. You know, we don't baptize babies. We don't christen around here. But I'll tell you this. When a person comes to the accountability of right and wrong and what sin is and they have trusted jesus as their savior i don't care listen if you're i can remember this i was preaching in an old-fashioned tent meeting downtown not too many tent meetings go on these days anymore but i was preaching with brother mike mcclary and the good samaritan ministries downtown in the inner city it was freezing cold it was it was frigid i december january i don't know and Mike told me, he said, before the service started, he said, now listen. He said, we're going to get derelicts, alcoholics, drug addicts, prostitutes. We're going to get people in organized crime. He said, we're going down to the heart of the inner city. And he said, I have I have ordered a horse trough. And we're going to baptize these converts in the horse trough. I said, Mike, man, these people are going to catch pneumonia. It's just, He said, no, we're going to do it. We're going to baptize them right there on the spot. And I'll tell you, it was my turn to preach, and when I gave the invitation, a woman in her mid-90s, feeble, frail, and very old, came forward, gave her heart to Christ, and under the streetlights in a horse trough in December. Now listen, I remember, Neil, I remember baptizing your son in a creek. I, he told me this when he got saved he said now I want to do it the old time way I want to do it the old fashioned way I want, I want to get baptized in a creek it was cold and I told him I said Aaron listen to me it's going to be cold I know it's going to be cold I want to do it like my grandmother my, I want to do it right I want to do it the old time way I said Jesus help him help him <laughs> If you don't help him, help me. And then I th- so the only thing we could come up with was Swift Creek. And if you don't know Swift Creek, listen, it's infested with water moccasins. I told him, it'll be a miracle if we don't get snake bit. I, I don't care. We won't do it the old time way, but I care. Well, we went down Swift Creek. And we baptized him. This lady came down the aisle, cold, frigid weather, maybe 95. I don't know. She needed help. And she wanted
0: to get baptized in that horse trough. And I got in there with her. I said, I
1: don't care how old you are. Baptism doesn't save you. But Jesus said, when you become born again, you need to follow me in believer's baptism. And I baptized that feeble, frail, elderly lady in a horse trough downtown Richmond under the city street lights in a tent meeting. The second thing Jesus said is, I want you to become a member of a local New Testament church. You need to unite with this. The third thing he said, I want you to surrender to be a disciple. And the big difference between salvation and discipleship is this. I don't have time to go into the account today, but Simon Peter made made a confession of Christ in a little place called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus looked in his eyes and he said, ask the question, whom do men say that I am? And there he said, you are the Christ. Thou art the Christ. The Son of God, he gave his heart to the Lord. He did not become a disciple there. It was later on when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. You can read of it in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus called out to them. He said, hey, drop your nets and follow me. There and then Simon Peter became a disciple. Salvation is different than discipleship and discipleship different than salvation. And when Jesus began to preach and teach in all the cities of the Galilee. The word says that 11 others followed him. The Lord had one thing in mind, and that was reaching the world. He had spent three and a half years trying to do just that. But when he left, when he went to heaven, he said, now the work is up to you. And here is the thing. When Jesus left this world, when he ascended back to the Father 40 days after his bodily resurrection, you may not know this or you may not understand this, but he appointed every single believer with the responsibility of being a missionary. We are all missionaries. We are all preachers. We are all teachers. We are all evangelists. The Lord Jesus had given the church, the mandate of worldwide missions. And I want you to listen carefully. God the Father has a missionary heart. He sent Jesus to this world to introduce us to that. And once we receive the message and once we come to this understanding, we will have to understand that God has sent us, every one of us. He has commissioned all of us to be missionaries. And with a missionary message, each of us share a part in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so I'm praying that as our mission emphasis is now coming to a close, that every one of you will wrap yourself around that. First of all, if you're not tithing, you need to tithe. God help us. Listen, I was telling somebody earlier today, when the, when the boss man puts your paycheck in your hand, somebody might say, well, I just don't have it. I just don't have it. Listen, when the boss man puts the check in your hand, you have it. It's the tithe. See, most people struggle with the leftovers. The word didn't say, you can read Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 all day long, seven days a week. He didn't say, bring me the leftovers. He said, bring me the first fruits. So you do have it. It's just a matter of what you do with it. So here's the thing. We've got to wrap our, we have got to do that. But we have also got to be involved in supporting worldwide missionaries. I can tell you the Red Cross is not going to send them. The 4-H Club is not going to fund our missionary program around the world. God has entrusted the local church to do that. It's our prayers, it's our faith promise, our willingness to share the gospel to the regions beyond. And I want us to look at this mandate a little bit closer this morning. Look carefully with me. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And that's a mandate that all of us need to be involved in. All of us know that people are lost without Christ. And the question is, how far are we willing to reach out in this endeavor? There's some most important scriptures about the Great Commission that cannot be ignored. I'm not going to have time to read Romans 10 this morning, but I want you to keep this in mind, that God has not left this mandate up to chance in secular innovation or trial and error, he's given us the framework which we are to operate in. There are three things I want to share with you real quickly here. First, he's given us missionary power. In Acts 1, 8 again, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. See, God himself gives us the power. Now, if God gave and made power to us available through the Holy Spirit, then we need to use it. So the question is this, what are we doing with this power? Keep in mind, sharing the gospel is not dependent upon your personality. It's not dependent upon your persuasiveness. It's not dependent upon the position that you have in church or how many years you've known the Lord. It's The missionary power is totally dependent on God, the Holy Spirit. You see, you don't have to worry about what to say. The Spirit of God will give you words to say. Far too many people believe that they simply do not have the ability to be a witness. But let me share with you the most important truth about this is this. God does not need your ability. God this morning, listen, all he wants, all he wants is your availability. And so if you want to be a witness, then thank God. Listen, you've got power. From the Spirit of God. I'm not having time to read Luke 11 this morning, but it's in the bulletin. Secondly, the thing is this. Not only do we have missionary power, but we need missionary people. Romans 10:14, the word says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The power is given to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit is never given to us for our enjoyment or our employment. The ultimate reason that God gives us power of the Holy Spirit is to witness for him. I want you to write this down. Jesus is is the person for missions, and the Spirit is the power for missions. I want you to listen to this. It's not in the Bible, but it's a cute little story that I came across. And I said, man, that's impacted with a lot of illustration." And I want you to listen to this. Because God chose you and me to be the witnesses on the earth. This cute little story I read not too long ago about Jesus arriving back to heaven after the ascension. Now again, believe me, that's not in the Bible. But it's certainly food for thought. When Jesus ascended back and went into heaven, word began to spread that he was back. He had been gone for quite a while since that time in Bethlehem's manger. Since that time, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He left the Father's throne. But word had got back that he was back. All of heaven stopped what they were doing. Everybody dropped everything that was going on and began to flock to him. And the angels were crowding him, pushing him in front of the line, trying to get there first. And they began to question him, show us those nail prints. Show us those prints in your feet. Show us your riven side. They were all assuring him, Jesus, listen, when you were on that cross, we were ready to ride. 10,000 of us were gathered around and we were ready for the Father to speak the word and we would have assembled ourselves around that cross and we would have annihilated all of them. We were waiting for God's signal. But then one angel spoke up and said, Lord, now that you're back, how do you intend to spread the gospel all over the world? And then Jesus spoke up and said, listen, I left all of that to my disciples. And all of heaven began to be astounded and confused and had the look of panic and disarray. He did what? Yeah, he left getting the gospel to these people, to these disciples, this one who denied him three times who said, I go a-fishing. He did what? Yeah, yeah. He just said he gave the gospel to to the world. I left it to my disciples. Then one angel spoke up and said, you mean you left God's plan of salvation up to these humans? And the Lord Jesus said, that's right. Then the angel spoke up and said, well, what if they decide
0: not to do it? Jesus, tell us what is plan B? And Jesus spoke up and said, there is no plan B. And folks, we have to realize,
1: it's a cute story, not in the Bible. But we have to remember this, there is no plan B. We are all, commissioned with the gospel, every one of us. The answer lies in what you see when you look in the mirror. You are the answer. Number three, the missionary plan. Luke four eighteen. the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jerusalem is right here, our Richmond, right here, Beaufort Road. Wherever people are, I'm so thankful that we have an opportunity to be a beacon and a lighthouse right here in our community. But we have to remember this. It's not just here. It's our Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. We need to be involved in that and getting the gospel out. It's going to require all of us to be a part of that. I read a statistic not too long ago. I want our musicians to come. And it said this. This is what the research said to me, that there are over 170 million people in this country alone who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And here's what I believe. If we're not reaching America with the gospel, one day soon somebody will be sending missionaries to the United States. We've got to be concerned right now to the ends of the earth. All of us have to be in, all in. We have to be involved. Support mission, support it with prayer, your faith promise, your hearts, your hands, your presence. These were the last earthly words of Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit
0: our website at Church.com.